0: My dear friends, welcome to the Jared White Show, episode 21, recorded January 9th, 2019. Yes, that's right, we are in 2019 now. It's a new year. Woohoo! I am your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web hope you had a great time over the holidays. Uh, I myself went on vacation, not my usual shtick. I typically work a fair bit throughout the whole holiday season, you know, obviously taking off for Christmas and New Year and so forth. But being a freelancer, if I take time off, I literally don't get paid. I only get paid if I'm working. So it's a little bit of a challenge. But this time around, I just thought to myself, you know, it is time. It is time to take some time off. It's time for a vacation. So I had a lot of fun, spent a lot of time with the kids. Uh, For a part of the time, my wife is down visiting her sister in California. So uh, I got to have quality time just with the kids. And then she came back and we got to have some more fun over the last weekend. And now it's a new week. We're back on our usual schedule. So once again, in two weeks, it'll be the next episode, episode 22 of The Jared White Show. Hey, by the way, big announcement for you folks. Yes, the rumors are true. The Jared White Show is now on Patreon. Yay! (laughs) All right. So why Patreon? Well, this idea has been literally years in the making for a long time, I've been wanting to have some kind of special subscription package for, for fans of, of whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, and, and that was really kind of the challenge. You know, what is it that I'm doing? I, I've always had a lot of interests. I've always had a lot of different projects going on. So figuring out just exactly which projects deserve to have some kind of extra subscription plan added has always been a little bit of a challenge. Um, but at this point in time, there's basically two things I'm really trying to promote. This show, the Jared White Show, I really am putting a huge bunch of effort into this podcast this year, uh, as well as my YouTube channel, Essential Life with Jared. And so, so that's what the Patreon's about. In fact, if you go to patreon.com slash Jared, you'll find out all about it. Link is in the show notes, of course. Uh, So that's really what I'm trying to promote, this podcast as well as my YouTube channel. And so on the YouTube channel, generally what I talk about is essentialism, uh, also a little bit about creativity in general, and also travel videos in and around the Portland area. So if any of that interests you, if you like the Pacific Northwest here in America, if you like essentialism or minimalism or simple living or whatever you want to call it, I talk a lot about that on the YouTube channel, and then here, of course, on the Jared White Show, a lot of the topics are about the open web, about uh, using using web technology to fuel creativity online, more of a geeky sort of subject matter. So, if you're more on the geeky side and you like the show and you want to continue to support it, uh, please check that out on Patreon. You'll get lots of behind the scenes kind of stuff. In fact. I posted a photo of my computer setup here as I'm beginning the podcast on Patreon, so you'll get to see things like that that you can't see anywhere else. Uh, on, on the middle tier, you'll also get access to a chat room where you can post questions and share ideas and just generally ask for feedback on things you're working on on the web. And then at the highest tier, $49, $49. You'll actually get to have a one-to-one discussion with me over the phone or you know, something like Skype or FaceTime or what have you, uh, and, and I get to, to help you. And I think this is actually kind of a special thing I want to talk about for a moment. Uh, so something I've been promoting here on the show is ways that you can switch off of using large commercial services that perhaps uh, you're, you're feeling nervous about in terms of giving them all the access to your data you know, what are you giving up in terms of security or privacy or what have you? Or you just want to be able to have control over your own data, over your own technology and not cede that control to corporations. So I talk a lot about that. Um, but with this $49 a month Patreon tier, I can actually help you with that. I can actually help you get set up with new technology. So for instance, if you've been hearing about this thing called Mastodon and you really want to try it out. You really want to see if you can start using that more and using Twitter or some other service less. Uh, I can actually help you get set up. I can help you find an instance you're comfortable with. I can walk you through how Mastodon works. I can let you know some, some cool accounts to follow because discovery on Mastodon can be a little bit challenging. Uh, anyway, I just can generally you know, hold your hand through that whole process. Or another example, if you want to switch away from Dropbox or iCloud Drive, or OneDrive or Google Drive or any of those major services and run your own, yes, that's right, run your own cloud storage service on your own virtual server in the cloud that you have control over, I can help you get that set up as well. I can basically do exactly for you what I've done for myself. I run a, a piece of software called NextCloud that I use to, to manage all of my data syncing between devices. You know, I've, I have all of my client projects all kinds of files that are getting shared between my, my multiple Macs, my iPhone, my iPad. I even have a shared folder now that my wife can access so we can share documents like you know, financial statements or whatever. This is all going through NextCloud on a server I have complete control over. And I can provide that same level of control for you. I can get you set up with your own server, getting NextCloud set up on it, help you install your, your apps on your Macs or iOS devices, uh, so I'm really excited to be able to provide this service through Patreon for my fans. So check that out, patreon.com slash Jared. of Patreon. I'll just go ahead right into the creator of the week segment here at the top of the show. Uh, Now, listen, don't go sign up for this guy's Patreon until you've signed up for mine. I'm just saying. Um, But I'm really excited to share with you this creator of the week. His name is John Campia, and he has a show that he calls the best damn movie related show on the planet. And I tend to agree because it is absolutely fantastic show. John Campia has been a been a legend on YouTube for many years now, a uh, beloved critic. Well, maybe some people uh, <laughs> find him a bit of an acquired taste, but, but I think John Campia is a really cool dude. Uh, so he talks about movies, mostly movies in the sci-fi and comic book and action genres, but he does talk about all kinds of other movies as well. Uh, sometimes interesting guests on his show, uh, his show's in a format where you can listen to it as a podcast if you're not really into video watching on YouTube a whole lot. Uh, so whether you watch him or listen to him through a podcast, I highly recommend John Campia. I support The John Campia Show on Patreon myself, and I encourage you to check it out as well. You can just go to the thejohncampiashow.com uh, to see what he's all about. All right, folks, now to the meat of this particular episode, I was thinking... I was thinking, as I'm often likely to do when I find myself with some free time on my hands, thinking about what to do with the whole family photo album situation. Here's the deal. In the past, I would just post family photos on Facebook to my friends list, so friends and family would get to see family photos throughout the year, so I didn't really feel compelled to do anything in particular around Christmas time, but this Christmas... It was totally different because I don't use Facebook anymore. I'm in the process of deleting all of my data off of Facebook. So I was trying to think of a good way to share some kind of family photo album uh, with close friends and family. Uh, I still use Instagram. Yes, it's true. I still use Instagram, despite my better judgment. Uh, hint, it's all about the hashtags. Uh, I use Instagram to post photos that I take you know for public consumption so generally it's architecture or landscape shots. I never use Instagram to post family photos so I just don't have anywhere online I'm sure the heck not gonna use Twitter or some other service like that so I really needed something private I needed something that I had control over and and you know even if it was with some Some corporate entity. I wanted it to be somebody that I trusted, that I felt like would be respectful of my data and my privacy. So, after a bunch of research really, really quite a lot of research I finally settled on a company named Smug Mug. Now, you maybe have heard of Smug Mug if you've worked at all with a professional photographer. It's a service that's really popular with professional photographers. Um, but they have, they have a, a pretty inexpensive plan. I, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $9 a month. Uh, you can get set up with a plan that has really generous storage. You can create multiple galleries on whatever topics you want, upload photos in beautiful high-resolution quality. And then you can share those galleries with people with a password. So if somebody doesn't have a password that you tell them about, there's no way they can view your gallery. So you can have private galleries that are secure. And so I tried this out, and what I did was I created a private gallery. I uploaded a whole bunch of photos, added captions and little descriptions about the photos, and kind of created a a journal of our family activities throughout the year. And then I sent, for the most part, text messages individually to close friends and family And in a few cases, I didn't have a text message number that worked, so I just used email. Yes, old-fashioned email. And I sent out, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30, 30 people or so. I sent them this link to this private gallery. And guess what happened? I got a lot of responses back. People saying, wow, this was so great. Thank you so much. I love looking through all the photos. This is so cool. Seems like you're really enjoying Oregon, blah, 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 blah. And I got to to connect with some people in, in a really nice way that felt very personal because we're just texting each other. Uh, and so, you know, certainly it took a little bit more work to get these links and these passwords out to people individually than it would have been just to, just to click a button on Facebook and share it with, you know, whatever, 500 friends or something. But uh, on the other hand, I felt like, you know, not only did I feel way more comfortable about how I was sharing these photos with people. But I think they actually got a way better experience. Smug Mug has some really wonderful templates. You know, you can kind of dial in just the exact look you want for your galleries. Like I said, the photography is shown at a really high resolution. It just looks gorgeous. You know, you can view it on your phone. You can view it on iPad. You can view it on a huge desktop monitor And it just looks gorgeous because this service is used by professional photographers. So it has to look really good. So I know this is starting to sound like some kind of ad pitch or sponsor read for SmugMug. I assure you they are not sponsoring anything. I'm completely talking to you, honestly. I just think SmugMug seems like a pretty cool service. I'm looking forward to, to using it more in the future. Um, And one thing I want to mention in relation to SmugMug here, which I feel like it could be a really, really huge deal for the future of photography on the web, even impacting people's usage of Instagram, and that is Flickr. If you've been on the web for any reasonable length of time, you've probably heard about Flickr. It was really the bee's knees at one time. It was Actually, kind of a pretty robust social networking experience around photography. Um, It it started out as an independent service. Without too much time passing, it got bought out by Yahoo. And then Yahoo, no surprise, as Yahoo did with pretty much everything. They just let it stagnate and just not really go anywhere and the service slowly withered away to a shadow of its former self S- still with millions of people signed in actually still with a quite a lot of usage you know particularly by people that do consider themselves professional photographers um, but you know it's certainly not the juggernaut today that you would expect uh, certainly nowhere near what Instagram is however a major a major bit of news here from back in April 2018, Uh, Yahoo, which itself got bought by some other company, I think it's called Oath or something like that now. Anyway, uh, Yahoo sold Flickr, and it got bought by, guess who? SmugMug. Yes, that's right, SmugMug now controls not only its own service named SmugMug, but also controls Flickr as well. And the reason this is such a huge deal is because SmugMug has gone on record saying, Their company was founded as a bootstrapped company. It's always been a pretty, uh, you know, a, a pretty solid company in the camp of, you know, we charge a little bit of money for people to use our service and we give them good service. And that's what we do. We're not in the business of selling a bunch of ads. We're not trying to sell data to anybody. We really care about privacy. We really care about security. You know, our bread and butter is with professionals that need professional tools that and they need to be able to trust us. And, you know, they're not going to try to chase a bunch of huge VC dollars to grow at some crazy fast rate, which then requires them to take on questionable business models, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it seems like SmugMug's a pretty cool company. And now that they've bought Flickr, they have a pretty ambitious plan to, to revitalize Flickr. And make it what people really want, which is a service that is robust, that works really well, that celebrates people's love of photography, allows people to share their photography easily, uh, you know, charges a little bit of money. Yep, you can't get a terabyte of free space or something like that anymore. You know, you have to pay up a little bit of money. But in exchange, you get hopefully a service that will, will thrive and and be you know successful over the long term. So... I'm a little bit of two minds here, because on the one hand, I really do like the SmugMug service that I've been using, and I would love to start using Flickr again, and I would love to see Flickr, you know, sort of nip at Instagram's heels a bit in the area of sharing online photography. On the other hand, I also want to root for a truly federated, open social networking solution like PixelFed. I haven't talked about PixelFed on this show yet. Um, but generally it does for photos what Mastodon has done for just general sharing of of text and links, and admittedly also photos and stuff. Uh, so you know, if if you look look at PixelFed, what it's basically trying to do is replicate more or less the Instagram experience, but in a way that's completely open source. People can install f- Pixel Fed instances on their own servers. So you could have, you know, literally thousands or many tens of thousands of different pixel-fed instances around the world, and they could all talk to each other through open federated protocols, just like Mastodon. Uh, So, you know, ultimately, I would love to see something like pixel-fed become the big alternative to Instagram. On the other hand, (laughs) I keep going back and forth in my thinking here, you know, at least in the short term, uh, Flickr has a way better chance of, of capturing mindshare and kind of, you know, getting some people uh, thinking about, you know, how they can, can consume and share photography online without using Instagram. Because that's really what it boils down to here, trying to, to reduce the, the lock that Facebook has on people's usage patterns. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, Facebook sucks, I'm getting off Facebook. Oh, but you still use Instagram, right? Well, yeah, Instagram's cool. Well, Instagram's owned by Facebook. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of like the same deal with WhatsApp. You know, Facebook sucks. I'm getting off Facebook. So what do you use to talk to all your friends? Oh, I use WhatsApp. Well, WhatsApp is also owned by Facebook. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you know, if they're not going to get you one way, they're going to get you another way. Um, So, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit of both. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about a, a, another crazy idea I have about f- both Flickr and Pixel Fed in a future episode. Uh, I'd love to spill the beans now, but I'll, uh, I'll I'll leave you hanging just a little bit. Anyway, long story short, if you're in the market for some kind of service to share photos with family and friends, I highly recommend you check out Smug Mug. Uh So that concludes that topic. On to the next topic is RSS dead? Well, it depends on what definition of RSS you use, because apparently this article I'm about to tell you about, the links in the show notes, uh, it basically equates RSS with uh, news feed readers that just regular people use across the internet. And so if you look at it through that lens, then yes, RSS perhaps is, is definitely nowhere near as popular as it once was. However... RSS, just purely as a technology that is an integral part of the open web at this point, it is most definitely alive and well. Uh, so, for instance, podcasts. Podcasts would cease to exist if RSS suddenly poofed out of existence. If, if I turned into Thanos one day, and I had the gauntlet with all the infinity stones on my hand, and I just decided to go, snap and poof, RSS out of existence, podcasting would simply stop. No podcasts would work. Everyone's podcast apps would die. Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcasts or Google Play Podcasts or whatever it's called, uh, just all, all the infrastructure, everything would stop, full stop. And that's because podcasting is entirely based on RSS. An RSS feed is just a file. It's just a file with a simple markup language that's similar to HTML, which powers every web page. And RSS says, basically, uh, here's a big list of items, and each item has a title and a description and a little bit of other metadata. And in the case of podcasts, there's some extra metadata for each item, and that extra metadata is a link to an MP3 file. Yes, that's all a podcast is. It's just a link to an MP3 file. So somewhere, somehow, somebody has a bunch of MP3 files on a server, and a podcast just basically tells podcast readers, hey, there's a new episode out, and here's the metadata about it. Here's the MP3 file to download for this episode. And that's it. That's what a podcast is. It's very simple. Apple's huge podcasting directory is just basically showing you data that's contained in RSS feeds. And those RSS feeds can live anywhere. They can live on any server. Anyone can have an RSS feed on their own server. This show, for instance, the Jared White show, the podcast for it, the RSS feed for it, is entirely on my own site at jaredwhite.com. It's using a Jekyll-based content system I created. I designed it. So I don't have to you know, set up anything with anybody to make this podcast work. It's entirely under my own control. I do use a service called Blueberry, to record stats. So there's a little bit of an interim step. So in my podcast RSS feed, the link to the MP3 is actually a link to their service and their service redirects to the file that's stored with Amazon's S3 storage. And so every time, you know, somebody downloads an MP3, uh, you know, I get a little bit of a, of a stat increase there. So I can see, you know, roughly like, oh, you know, 40 people downloaded this or hundred people downloaded that or whatever but that's it. That That's as complicated as it gets. So I can tell you right now, RSS is alive and well because podcasting is a huge medium. It's a huge part of the web. I mean, it's so big now that huge, giant, you know, millions of subscribers, YouTube people are starting podcasts because they want in on this medium. They It's a great way to connect with fans in a way you can't do with short YouTube videos. And so, you know, even if, RSS was literally not used by anything else, not useful for anything else, which isn't true at all. But even if that was the case, it would still be alive and well because it powers podcasting. And there is no way that podcasts are going to switch to any other technology anytime in the near future. RSS is here to stay. It's how podcasting works. And in that sense, RSS is unquestionably a success. Uh, But anyway, if you want to read this article, The Rise and Demise of RSS... Uh, The link is in the show notes. It does have some interesting history about how our RSS was created and why it got big at one point and why it's maybe not quite so big now. Um, But I just don't agree with the overall premise that RSS is somehow a failure or just not relevant anymore. All right, on to our next and final topic, Apple's revenue slide. I don't really have any show notes or links or anything for this. I'll just kind of briefly explain what's been going on and offer a few observations. So basically, just a number of days ago, uh, CEO Tim Cook came out with a statement, or I should say Apple came out with a statement, and Tim Cook added some 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 additional commentary right away. And it basically said that Apple is going to miss its revenue guidance for this upcoming quarter that ends. You know, they had, you know, whatever billions of billions of billions of dollars they had predicted that I told analysts back at the end of the last quarter, uh, they're now going to be a few billions less. So I don't really care about all these big numbers. You know, the, the key takeaway here is that Apple is still making money hand over fist. They're just not making as much money hand over fist as they expected. And so this miss got everybody in a frenzy. And there were some specific reasons Apple provided, like, you know, most notably uh, turbulent times in China. That that market is not performing as they expected, and they're having some problems moving product there that they uh, did not foresee. Uh, and, And a few other sort of minor things that sort of all add up to a less than rosy picture. Anyway, I think to a certain extent, the, the hoopla about all this is highly overblown. Clearly, the iPhone is an extremely successful product. You know, if anything, it was too successful. Uh, it, it just sold in such ridiculous quantities in such a relatively short period of time that it shot Apple up to becoming the most valuable company in the world, if you look at their stock price. Um, so, you know, if, if a little bit of that shine comes off now... Uh, you know, it's still clear that Apple has a hugely successful product here, and that's not going to change. Uh, on the other hand, I think what people should be rightly concerned about is if the, the rate of change for the iPhone product is perhaps slowing and, and what that means for the future of the product line. So, for example, uh, in a very weird state of affairs for me, I'm still using an iPhone 7 plus I have not upgraded to one of the latest phones and the reason for that is twofold one I love my iPhone 7 plus I love it it's great it's a great phone it works the battery life's still good I, I enjoy using it every day it's probably my favorite iPhone I've ever owned and I've had quite a few of the the different models over the years I just like it and so you know oh and uh, you know with the recent you uh, iOS 12 version running on it. Um, Everything is fast and snappy, It, it really feels great. It doesn't feel like an old phone at all. So given all that, I really have to justify to myself why I would want to get a new phone if the phone I have right now works very well. And secondly, the new phones are hella expensive. I mean, they are definitely up there, You know, up there in the neighborhood of getting a new iPad, for instance. And that's really what I'm saving up for here is to get a new iPad Pro. And so I would essentially have to give up getting a new iPad Pro in order to get a new iPhone. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I know it's dangerous to come up with a an idea of trends based on a statistic of one here. Uh, but I, I do think that you probably will find this a lot, a, a lot of this sentiment out there, which is that you know tons of people already have iPhones. And even if they're a couple generations old, people are still pretty happy with them. You know, the the iPhone Seven line uh, was, and even the iPhone Eight line was really solid. And so, you know, I think a lot of people at this point are really happy with their phones, and that sort of frenzied upgrade cycle of you know upgrading every year like people used to do, uh, I, I think that's changing. And that's kind of one of the things Apple said is you know the the uh, the sort of constant upgrade cycles and getting these sort of uh, carrier plans to subsidize the, the phone prices and so forth uh, you know that business model is shifting a bit So you know on the one hand it makes sense for Apple to, to increase the prices for the new iPhones because if you get an iPhone you know let's say every three years or four years instead of every two years, um, you know, Buying a more expensive phone that's super luxurious and awesome and has the, the most cutting-edge tech possible, uh, that really makes sense. On the other hand, <laughs> it's definitely going to require a bit of, of re-education. You know, people are gonna to have to realize that, you know, they're not gonna buy a phone that's seven hundred dollars. They're gonna buy a phone that's over a thousand dollars, perhaps. And so, you know, it really requires a little bit of forethought and perhaps a little bit of saving up and so forth. Um, Anyway, I don't have any hard and fast conclusion here, but I, I do think that, that uh, the patterns of how people buy their phones and, and what they think about the, the changes and upgrade patterns of their phones, I do think that's shifting a bit. and I think Apple is, is seeing the effects of that shift. And you know, they can try to do things to, to mitigate their overall revenue numbers they're definitely putting a lot more emphasis now on services, you know, selling services of various kinds to their iPhone customer base and even beyond that. Um, But for a little while here on out, uh, it might be a bit rockier for uh, Apple investors than it has been in the past. I'm not sure if I'm legally required to say this, but I do own a tiny bit of Apple stock myself. So bear in mind here, uh, you know, I-, I could be self-serving in what I'm saying, um, but, but honestly, you know, for the most part, I-, I do mean a tiny bit, by the way, but for the most part, I'm just simply a user of Apple products and I'm a fan. Uh, and so I'm just giving you my honest opinion. All right, folks. Well, we have come to the end of the show, the end of episode 21. I thank you, dear friends, for listening to this episode, the first of the new year. Uh, Once again, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast to learn more about the show, to read show notes, and you can go to patreon.com slash essentiallifejared to check out my Patreon. Sign up for one of my tiers, $2, $10, or $49 a month and you can get access to all sorts of groovy things and really support the show growing and thriving going forward. All right, you all have a good one. I'll see you next time. Bye. You're my child.